Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. I give honor to this host church, the Life Church, Kansas City. Let's give them a big hand and show our appreciation. Amen. It's always good to be with the entire Gleason family. I love all of them very much, Pastor Gleason and Sister Gleason. And uh, yeah, let's give them a hand. And Sister Gleason is responsible for her gifts are working as usual. She's responsible for that massive chocolate chip cookie in my bag. And she's in the flow. And if that's any indicator of what the rest of this week is going to be like, it's going to be a powerful week. And uh, I give them honor. And then, of course, my friend, Pastor Justin Gleason, and his wife and their children. They are the cream of the crop. Amen. And Brother Caleb Gleason, Brother Santa Mary, and all of the speakers that will be a part of this week. I give them honor. And I'm so glad to play just a small part of passing the mantle this year. Amen. Did anybody come to leave different than the way you came? I want to go to the word of the Lord. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4. All of the ministry that is here tonight, I honor you. And I'm so thankful that you are here tonight. God bless you and your wives. You ought to be thankful for a pastor in your life. Maybe we ought to try that one again. You ought to be thankful for a pastor in your life. First Kings chapter 4. I want to read verse 24, 1 Kings 4 and verse 24. This is talking about Solomon, who is now ruling and reigning as the king of Israel. It said, for he had dominion. Everybody say dominion. He had dominion over all the region on this side, the river. Over all the kings on this side the river. And he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree from Dan even to Beersheba. All the days of Solomon. Now I want to skip over just one chapter and a few verses into chapter 5 and let's begin reading at verse number 3 this is Solomon king of Israel speaking he said thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house under the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side. And watch this. So that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. He looked around and he saw the dominion that he had in the kingdom of God. And he said, I've got peace all around me. And because of the battles of the last generation, I don't have an adversary to fight. We're going a little bit different direction than probably what you think here tonight. Because little did Solomon know is that his dominion would lead to his destruction. And so I want to talk to us about the danger of dominion. 
the danger of dominion. I know this is the first night and sometimes there's some things to plow through. There's some things to turn over and get out of the way. I believe we're going to do a little bit of that, but for the most part, I feel clarity in this atmosphere. I just feel a, I feel a freedom and a liberty in the Holy Ghost. And so I wonder if all over the house, here, here's what I want you to do, and here's, here's what I feel. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to pray, and we're going to let God know we're hungry. But I, I don't want you to lift your hands and pray with hunger for miracles, with demonstration, with the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to just lift your hands and let God know you're hungry for Him. Can you do that all over the house? Let's take a minute right here and let's just pray until we feel liberty to move on in the Holy Ghost. you just join hands with your neighbor and let's pray one with another and let him know that collectively we're hungry for him individually but collectively as a body God we want you in this room here tonight Amen. Now, if you're hungry for Jesus, nothing else but Jesus, would you put your hands together all over the house? We worship you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The danger of dominion. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. I believe that in this hour, God is trying to recalibrate the church in a very specific manner. Because one thing I have noticed is that we have become so fixated on revival and we place a very high premium on revival and because we place such a high premium on revival we do not place as high of a premium on relationship I had a young man come to me recently at the end of a service and he asked me a question He was asking how I get messages to preach. And I think my answer probably surprised him a little bit. I said, I never pray to preach. I pray to know him. I said, I never study to preach. I study to know him. And in praying and studying to know him... In return, he gives me messages to preach. I've made it a mission in my life that every message that I preach across a pulpit is always birthed from a place of relationship. Everything that we do in the kingdom of God should be the overflow of relationship 
with Jesus Christ. I believe that God is trying to recalibrate the apostolic church. Where we get to the place, we've got to take a break from praying so we can sing. Rather than take a break from singing so we can pray. I believe God's trying to get us back to the place where we've got to take a break from praying to preach. Rather than take a break from preaching so we can pray. I believe every young minister should get to the place where they would rather spend time in their prayer closet than they would on a platform. And I want to make sure that everything that takes place in the kingdom of God in my life is the overflow of relationship with him. And in the apostolic church, I've noticed something. We have, we have created a, a, a monster, if you will. I know that sounds brash, but I'm just trying to be obedient to the Holy Ghost here tonight. We have created a monster, if you will, in a celebrity culture in Pentecost. And I'm seeing a generation of young men and young women that view preaching passing the mantle as the metric for success. That view releasing albums as a metric for success. That view standing on the North American Youth Congress platform as the metric for success. Being known and being popular is not the metric for success. But obedient to the perfect will of God for your life is the metric for success. As long as it is the will of God, somebody that stands on the largest platforms in our movement is no more or no less successful than somebody that goes to a foreign country and starts a church. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying here tonight? We've got to let God recalibrate us to the place where we begin to view obedience as the metric for success rather than being known and popular as the metric for success. God has been dealing with me about this very strongly because in this generation there are young men and there are young women that are so fixated on the microphone and they are so fixated on the platform. But the problem with that is, is that that is a moment that will come to an end. There are only so many microphones that can be placed in your hand. There are only so many platforms that you can stand on. There are only so many conferences that you can preach. There are only so many pulpits that you can stand behind. But when that moment comes to an end, there will always be a prayer closet for you to go back to when that moment is over with. So I want to preach to this generation here tonight. You can reach the end of a moment, but you can never reach the end of the master. I am thankful and I am excited about revival, but I am not as excited about revival as I am excited about knowing Jesus Christ and spending time with him. When passing the mantle comes and goes, there is always another level in God for me to reach. Is there anybody that's excited? There's more of Jesus for your life. So I was in prayer in December of last year going into the new year, and I began to pray and ask God, God, what is, what is your word for the body of Christ? More specifically, God, what is your word for me? What rewiring needs to take place in my life? What is it that I need to correct in order to get closer to you? And he led me to the book of Song of Solomon. We understand that Song of Solomon is a perfect picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the bride. In the entire book of Song of Solomon, it is a dialogue between the bride and the bridegroom. And in 
the first chapter of Song of Solomon, we see where the bride is speaking to the bridegroom. And this is what she said. She said, draw me and I will run after you. And she goes on to say in that same verse that the king hath brought me into his chambers. Now you have to understand that the chambers of a king in scripture, that is not a place that you can just waltz into. That is not a place that you can just, that you can just effortlessly get access to. But that chamber, it was a place of intimacy. It was a place of privacy. It was a place of fellowship. And it was a place that that you could only gain access to if the king invited you there himself. And she said, draw me and I will run after thee. What she was saying is, is when you invite me to have relationship with you, there will be an urgency in me to know you. And when I read that, the Lord spoke to me and said, this generation runs to the pulpit but walks to the prayer room. He said, this generation runs to the platform, but walks to the prayer room. But God is trying to recalibrate us in this hour where we have got a greater urgency in us to know him than we do to be known in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And she goes on a few verses later, I believe it's in verse number four, verse number seven, I can't remember at the moment, but she goes down a few verses later and she says, now I want to know, where do you feed your flock in the noonday? What the bride was saying to the bridegroom is, now that we have got the place of relationship established, I want to know where do you labor in the noonday? Where is the place of work? Where is the place uh, that you put your hand to the plow? Where is the place uh, that you labor in the field? Uh, It's as though the bride was saying to the bridegroom, uh, now that I've got relationship established, uh, I've got to establish revival in the kingdom of God. Uh, Can I tell you here today that she did not seek revival and then relationship. She sought relationship uh, and in return she got revival. Come on, I know I'm not preaching about miracles here tonight. I'm not preaching about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm preaching about something greater than the gifts of the Spirit. I'm preaching about a relationship with the God that gives the gift. More than we get focused on revival, we've got to focus on relationship. More than we focus on a place of labor, we've got to establish a place of love. Let's lift our hands and let's reach after him in this house here tonight. And so it is the will of God for us to operate in dominion in the kingdom of God. And when you look in Genesis chapter 1, you will see where God created man. And this is what he said. He said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth and subdue it. And watch this. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now I want you to understand something here tonight. When it use that word dominion it literally means to tread or to walk on or to rule over it is impossible to walk with God and not have dominion 
If this generation wants dominion in their ministry and dominion in their churches and dominion in their lives, you cannot walk with God and not have dominion. But if you wake up every day and just walk with Jesus, everywhere your foot is placed, you'll have dominion in that area. You want to know the key to your revival? Wake up every day and walk with God. And when you walk with God, you'll have dominion at your job. Come on, when you walk with God, you'll have dominion at your campus. When you walk with God, you'll have dominion in every area of your city that you go to. By virtue of walking with God, you automatically have dominion in your life. But God did not just say they're going to have dominion. He, he was very specific about the kind of dominion that they would have. He gave them multi-dimensional dominion. He said you're not going to have dominion in one arena of life. You're going to have dominion in every arena of life. You're going to have dominion over the beasts of the field, the natural. But you're also going to have dominion over the fowls of the air that's the invisible and the supernatural can I tell this generation when you walk with God you gain dominion in every dimension you've got dominion over the visible and you've got dominion over the invisible why do you think Jesus said if you bind it on earth the visible it'll be bound in heaven you don't get that without walking with God there ought to be somebody in this house that says I want to walk with Jesus and if I can walk with Jesus I can pull down strongholds in the kingdom of God Somebody lift your hands and your voice and just say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. Come on, why don't you lift your voice a little bit louder? Why don't you get excited, as excited about walking with Jesus as we do about the miraculous? You ought to get more excited about the God that gives the gift than you do the gift that God gives. I'm talking about walking with God. And you'll just show up to your job and the atmosphere will shift. You'll show up to your college campus or your high school campus and just by virtue of spending time with Jesus, the atmosphere will shift. That's what happens whenever you walk with God. It is impossible to walk with God and not have dominion. But here's what the Bible said about that place, that domain that God gave them dominion over. Here's what the Bible said. There are two specific times that the writer of Genesis that Moses used the word put. And they are very specific. They're not there by coincidence. But in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible said, And the Lord God planted a garden and eastward in Eden and there he put the man that he had formed. That word put there means exactly what you think it means. It means God positioned him there. It means God placed him there. Let me take a minute right here and encourage somebody. You're not where you are by accident. It's not coincidence you've got the job you've got. It's not coincidence you live on the street you live on. It's not mere happenstance that you go to the school you go to. It's not a coincidence you pastor in the city you pastor in you were positioned there by God to have dominion in that region they were put there but then a few verses later that word put is used again but the meaning the Hebrew of that word changes it says and the Lord God took the man and 
put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This time that word put there, it does not mean to position or to place, but it literally means a place of rest, a place of safety, and a place of relationship. God was saying, I placed them there and I gave them dominion in this area to cultivate an atmosphere of relationship with me. We have got it backwards in Pentecost. We've created a culture of revival and celebrities and popularity and entertainment. We gotta go back to Eden. We gotta go back to the place where it's all about Jesus. My God, I wish somebody would shout and say, God, I just wanna know you. I just wanna walk with you. We got one person that'll run the aisles about knowing Jesus. This might not be popular preaching, but it will set us back in the order of God. When we get relationship, we'll automatically get revival. Somebody needs to reach after him right now. Come on. Come on, we're chipping away at this thing. And so here man is with dominion all around him, just like Solomon. It began all the way in the Garden Eden. It was God's original plan that man would have dominion in the domain that he had placed them in. So here man is. They've got dominion in all these dimensions. They've got dominion in the natural and the supernatural. They've got dominion in the visible and the invisible. But somewhere along the way, they forgot to couple dominion with devotion. It is amazing to me they had all the dominion in the world, but they couldn't even rule their own spirit. We've got to get back to the place where we don't just operate in dominion over the spirit. we got to have dominion over self. I want to rule my own spirit. I want to rule my own tongue. I want to rule my own body. Come on, somebody. You might have dominion in the spirit, but do you have dominion over your own self? Cast out devils, but talk about your brother behind his back. Lay hands on the sick and see them get healed, but then go and look at pornography on the internet. You want to preach about fast? Oh. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You want to preach about revival in your city, but you can't even stop tearing down your brother. You want to get up behind the pulpit and preach, but you can't even stop competing and comparing yourself with your brother. I'm here to tear that down here tonight and call us back to Eden. We got to get back to dominion over ourselves. And so man loses that dominion in that garden. Here's what God does. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now understand this with me here tonight. Those cherubims, they were warring angels. They were militant in nature. We've got to look at the law of first mention. That is the very first time that God loosed warring militant angels into the earth. It is amazing to me that the first time God loosed warring angels, it was to protect a place of relationship with God. 
Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying here tonight? We got to be more concerned about protecting our relationship than we are our cell phones. I wish I had some help in this house right now. We got to be more concerned about protecting our relationship with God than we're concerned about our social media, than we're concerned about our relationship with man. Come on, is there anybody here that'll say, just like I fight for revival, I'm gonna fight for relationship. Let's lift our hands all over the house. Reach after him all over the house. Why don't you let God know right now, God, from this day forward, I'm going to fight for my relationship with you. With the same intensity, I fight for revival. With the same intensity, I fight for breakthrough. With the same intensity, I fight for end time harvest. I'm going to fight that much more for relationship with you. There ought to be a groaning that sweeps across this room right now. Come on. We have travailed for revival in the past. I wonder if we can travail for relationship. Oh, God, that I may know you in the power of your resurrection. I fear we preach about a God we do not know. We sing about a God we do not know. Oh, God, bring us back to devotion in the middle of our dominion. So here it is. Here it is. Here's the danger of dominion. Solomon looked around. And he began to talk about the battles that his father fought. And he said, you see all this? You know why this generation has this? Because the generation before me was always in a battle of some kind. But this generation were reaping the benefits of their battles. And we don't have an adversary. You know what that word adversary there means in the Hebrew? Satan. He's looking around and he's saying, I don't have a Satan. I don't have an enemy. And the moment that Solomon had no battle was the moment that Solomon had no boundaries. That's the danger of dominion. And I wish I could say that it was just him. But it was a pattern that he was following from his father David. Because at the time kings go out to battle... David tarried still at Jerusalem. 
And when David should have been in battle, he started moving those boundaries. And he crossed a line. And he fell. The danger of dominion is if you do not couple devotion with your dominion, it will lead to your destruction. There's a young preacher that better hear me in this house because I'm seeing young men that are getting elevated seemingly overnight and they get they become a part of the system and it's just like Saul. We give Saul a bad rap, but there's a reason that Saul hit among the stuff. It's because within Saul, within himself, he knew I'm not ready for the elevation that the people are trying to give me. And there's a gifted generation that is in this room. You can preach with the best of them. You can sing with the best of them. You can play music with the best of them. But you better make sure when that moment ends that you maintain devotion with the master. Because your dominion will lead to your destruction if it is not coupled with devotion. You may go through seasons of life where there's not a storm, where there's not a battle, where there's not an enemy. But don't you dare let your guard down and open the door to things that will destroy your walk with God. And here it is. When Solomon had no battle, he had no boundary. Because just a few chapters later, after he looked around and said, I've got dominion and peace on every side. I've got no adversary. Here's what the Bible said. It said, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clave unto these in love. And it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now that seems a little bit contradictory because we just talked about how David, when he was supposed to be in a battle, he began to move those boundaries and he failed to Bathsheba. So how can the Bible say that Solomon's heart was not perfect, as was the heart of his father David? How can that still be said about a man that was an adulterer and a murderer all in one day? When the Bible said that they turned Solomon's heart away, when you study that, it literally means his heart was stretched and it was spread. That's why it says he clave unto these in love. He had a heart for God. But when he began to move those boundaries, what he began to entertain began to stretch his heart. And his devotion was not singular. He was devoted to God, but also devoted to the world at the same time. And that's where we mess up as we get young men and young women that are gifted and they're talented and they're anointed and they're powerful. But they move those boundaries whenever God begins to elevate them and use them. And they learn how to traverse back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. You want to know what that's called? That is called divination. We need to lift our hands right here. I'm telling you, I'm trying to save somebody in the Holy Ghost. I'm trying to save somebody in the Holy Ghost right now. We're going to get some stuff right in this room tonight. And it's going to prepare your spirit to receive in the rest of this meeting. It said that his heart was not perfect as was his father David. That word perfect there means it was intact. It was whole. 
It wasn't stretched and it wasn't spread like the heart of Solomon was. You want to know why that is? It's because David repented and David got back to the battlefield. The enemy wants this generation to fall into condemnation after you make a mistake and never pick up a sword and get back into the battle. But I would submit to you it might be the battle that will save your soul. Because as long as you've got a battle, you know how to maintain boundaries. You better be thankful for the enemy in your life. It might be that very enemy that drives you back to the altar of prayer and consecration unto the Lord. And so what did God do two times? Two times in that chapter, the Bible says, and the Lord stirred up an adversary. God said, okay, you want to start moving boundaries in your life? I'll bring a battle to you to get you back where you need to be. I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost, you're looking around and you're wondering, why is that season of peace that I was in come to an end? Why does it seem like I'm in the heat of the battle right now? Maybe it's because whenever you had dominion and peace on every side, you started moving some boundaries in your life. And God said, I love you too, I love you too much to let your dominion lead to devotion. So I'm going to raise up an adversary. I'm going to let Satan mess with your life for a little bit so that it'll drive you back to a place of relationship. There ought to be somebody that shouts and says, thank God for every enemy. Thank God for every battle. Without that battle, I got comfortable, but because the battle came back. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Go ahead and worship the Lord across this house right now. You thought that it was for your destruction, but God's saying, I got to stir up that enemy. And if you'll lean into this battle, it'll drive you back to the place that you're supposed to be in God. That's it, this thing's starting to break right now. You can respond. You can respond however you want to respond right now. I wish somebody would let Jesus know I want you more than I want anything in this life. You ought to let Jesus know I want your presence more than I want a platform or a pulpit. I want the Messiah. I want the master more than I want a moment where everybody can see me. Come on, young preacher. How bad do you want a relationship with Jesus? This altar's open. I wish you'd let Jesus know I want to get back to a place of devotion. I'm, I'm really trying to get away from this, but as you come, I want you to listen to me. As you come, I want you to listen to me. I'm, I'm really trying to get away from this. There's a Samuel. There's a Samson in this house. I know what I feel in the Holy Ghost. There is a Samson in this house. Samson was the strongest man alive. He had dominion. And because he was so strong, he got comfortable with the world. Sometimes it is that battle that brings a balance to your life. I heard a young person say one time, I don't really have a struggle. A person without a battle is often a person without balance. 
It's that battle that comes along when you start to move those boundaries that recalibrates you and gets you back to where you need to be in God. Samson was gifted. I'm going to take some time right here, but I want you to hear me. This is in the Holy Ghost. Samson kept the Nazarite vow. Every person that kept the Nazarite vow also kept the Mosaic law. Just because he kept the Nazarite vow did not mean that he was excluded from the Mosaic law. That vow consisted of three things. Not cutting his hair, not touching a dead body, and not partaking of strong drink. To the best of my knowledge, the theologians in the house can correct me if I'm wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, only one of those applied to the Mosaic law. And it was only once a year. Not touching a dead body on the Day of Atonement. What was unacceptable to everybody else one day a year was unacceptable to Samson every day of the year. I'm going to tell you what the Holy Ghost is doing in this generation. It's like the pendulum swung. It's like we overcorrected. Because there were generations before us that were strong on some things. And then the generation after them started questioning why they took those stands. And they started saying, is all of that really necessary? And then it's like we overcorrected and the pendulum swung. And all this generation can focus on is what's lawful. When that elder generation that saw miracles, signs, and wonders like it was an everyday occurrence, they weren't just concerned with the lawful. They wanted to know, is this expedient or not? You want to know why Samson had his guidelines? Not everybody had Samson's guidelines because not everybody had Samson's giftings. And so we can keep asking the question, is there Bible for this? And we can use that as an excuse to open the door to things that displease the Holy Ghost. You might not have any Bible for it, but if it is not conducive to the anointing on your life, why would you want to be involved in it? And the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord would move on him at times where that spirit, that anointing, that gifting would settle on him and he would perform a great feat. He would demonstrate that power and then he would move that line and then he would tap back into his gifting and then he would move that line and then he would tap back into that gifting and he would move those boundaries a little bit more until finally he went 40 years without cutting his hair. I believe he could have broken those vows in any order. It had nothing to do with the hair that made that last vow so powerful and it had everything to do that it was the final line that he had not crossed and when he crossed that final line you know what he said he said I'll shake myself as at other times oh this is just like every other time I crossed a line and got back up on the platform to sing this is just like every other time I stayed up all night watching pornography and then went and taught a bible study Let me get a little closer to home because this is something more of us struggle with. Well, well, it's, it's no different than any other time that I watched a movie that maybe wasn't R-rated or X-rated, but it had little subtle innuendos in there that displeased the Holy Ghost. And then the next Sunday, I got up and taught Sunday school. And we learn how to traverse back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. All the while, we are diminishing devotion because we are majoring on dominion and we are on our way to destruction and don't even know it. Somebody's soul is going to be saved in this house here tonight. You hear what I'm telling you? Somebody's soul is going to be saved. And when Samson said, I'll shake myself as at other times, here's the tragedy of it all. It said the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. 
and he knew it not. I'm telling somebody, you better get back to devotion. I promise you when passing the mantle is over, there's going to be a prayer closet I put my face in. Listen, I'm, I'm not preaching for applause right now. You got to get this in your spirit. You got to get this in your spirit. L- listen to me, young person. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost right now, get your eyes off of being known and get your eyes on knowing him. You will reach the end of a moment, but you will never reach the end of the master. That ought to excite you because that should let you know there's always another level in God. Anybody hungry for what I'm preaching about here tonight? Let's stand all over the house. Let's lift our hands and lift our voices. If you're down here at the altar, you can stay on your you can you can stay on your knees, you can stay kneeling, but the rest of us, I'm asking you to let's stand and lift our hands all over the house. I'm inviting the rest of you. Would you step out of your seat and get around this altar? If you want to lay in between those chairs on your face and get a hold of God, that's fine. But I'm asking every person in this room, get into a place where you can pray here in the next few moments. Come on. You can't learn how to shake yourself and then tap back into that gifting. You got to be devoted. All right, here's what's about to happen. Here's what's about to happen. There's about to be old time conviction that grips this room. There's about to be old time conviction that grips this room. I want to know when the last time. When the last time you just went to a place of prayer and you just took that Bible and you just you just put it close to your chest and you just wept because you just love him so much. I know you've wept because you want God to use you. I know you've clutched that Bible begging for God to give you a message to preach. But when's the last time you just wept because you just love him? I'll tell you what's about to happen. I'm going to sit this microphone down. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to beg you. I'm going to sit this microphone down. And when I sit this microphone down, I'm walking away. And the rest is up to you. There needs to be a weight of conviction that rests on this room. And you fall on your face and you weep. And you cry. And you reach for him. With the intensity we reach for revival, can you reach for relationship? With the intensity you reach for dominion, can you reach for devotion to him? Are you ready? You ought to go ahead and lift your voice. I'm telling you, we need to find a place to pray in this room. I wish there'd be an old saint that would just lay on their face, prostrate before the Lord. Come on, young preacher. If you want, if you want to preach, if you want to preach, you better get this relationship thing right. Come on, singer. Come on, musician. Have you been singing about a God you don't even know? Are you ready? Lift your voice all over the house. Go. Come on, without any music, without any music, without anybody singing, why don't you get desperate for him? Come on, ask God to search your heart. Ask God to recalibrate you, to rewire you. Come on. We got to get back to relationship. We've got dominion, but do we have devotion? Lift your voice. Come on.
Let out that groan and that trouble. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details. Thank you.